This week at church, Calvary Christian Center is joined by special guest, Pastor Dan DeRosiers. If you've been in the presence of God, you are a new creation. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and the sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. It's to accelerate the gospel through the power of media. Now, that may seem a little bit strange. It may seem out of the ordinary for a missionary to come here and tell you that they're going to use media to reach people. But think about your life. Think about how often you interact with media on a daily basis. Think about even driving down uh, 422 or Route 100 and you see uh, billboards that are trying to capture your attention. Uh, or maybe it's you're watching television and you see... Uh, commercials for any given thing. For Alicia, somehow she always sees a pair of shoes. Like, like it'll flash on the screen. Oh, did you see those shoes? No, I did not see those shoes at all. I was watching everything else, not that. Uh, but maybe it's a, a restaurant that you that you see, and you know you see everybody at, at Olive Garden around the the table, and they're so happy, and you think, boy, we should go out tonight. Or, or for me, the one that always gets me is an ice-cold Coca-Cola Classic. Right, and you see that glass bottle, and you see the dew dripping down the bottle, and it's just so fresh and so cold, and the way it just, as they pop that cap, and the way that it pours down in slow motion and cascades over those ice cubes, and the foam, to the top. Anybody getting thirsty? Right? What if we could take those same techniques that make you want to go to the Olive Garden or want a pair of shoes or make you require an ice-cold Coca-Cola classic and we make people want the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to do. We're going to use the same thing that Jesus did. You know, the Bible says that uh, there, uh, in Matthew, it says that there wasn't a place that Jesus went where he didn't tell people a story. And uh, in other places, if you count up what Jesus did, over 33% of what he did was tell stories. And we're telling stories in the way that reaches people, regardless of their language, regardless of their culture. We are using media to tell people stories of the gospel of Jesus to bring them one step closer to him. I want to tell you a story about a little boy by the name of Shabundu. And this, this is Shabundu here. And uh, he was born blind in a village in India. 
And one year, a group of missionaries came to his town, and they set up a screen, and they set up a projector, and they showed a film about Jesus. But Shabundu, he couldn't watch the film because he was blind, but he could listen to it. And he listened to this film, and uh, he, at the end of the film, believed that this Jesus could heal him. And so he prayed that Jesus would touch him, and I want to tell you that he did. And he restored sight to this little boy. You can see his right eye is kind of turned up and has a film over it. And Jesus touched his left eye and restored sight to this little boy. So that a year later when that group of missionaries came to his town and they set up that same screen and that same projector, Shabundu was able to watch for the very first time the film that had changed his life forever. Media is so powerful. And it's a way that we can reach people in places where missionaries can't go. In places where folks might not have access to a church or a pastor or a missionary or maybe even another Christian. We can reach them on their smartphones. You know, when you guys go to South Africa, you're going to see these all over the place. You're going to see grassroots roof huts that don't have electricity, that don't have running water but that do have access to the world of information at their fingertips through a smartphone. And so at International Media Ministries, we produce content in more than 70 languages that reaches not just in Europe, although we are in the middle of a humanitarian crisis, a migrant crisis. You've seen it all over the news. And I think it's absolutely incredible that the nations are coming to us in Europe. This is the time for the church to be in action to reach folks that have nothing else to reach to. They literally have nothing. But we can bring them hope. Unfortunately, the church in Europe is not set up to respond. Do you know that in Spain, 1% of Spain is evangelical Christian? Across Europe, it's 3%. Three in a hundred folks that you might encounter evangelical Christian. They're calling Europe the new dark continent. It's not fun. It's not good. But we can use these techniques, we can use this media to reach people and bring them a step closer to Jesus. Now, we were, uh, Alicia and I were here a couple of years ago, and actually I think it might have been like almost two years ago to the day and uh, I shared a few stories uh, about, how many of you were here when, when we were here last time? You remember my face? Uh, or remember, well, we didn't have Paisley, so you couldn't remember Paisley. Uh, and I shared a couple of stories of what I had experienced and seen on a couple of missions trips that I was able to do in 2013. But I have to begin uh, today with an apology. Alicia and I, when we were here, we had, just a couple weeks before we came, made a decision that we were going to commit our lives to full-time missions, but we didn't say anything. And the reason why we didn't say anything is because we had not yet told our families. We had not yet told our jobs. We had only told the Lord, yes, we will go. And uh, it was just a couple years ago that we were sort of minding our own business. Um, I had shared about a trip that I took to Cairo, Egypt. And it was there that I saw 
a group of people, and not like the people that couldn't make it in the United States. I saw a group of people that were the finest. They were business people and civil engineers and lawyers and doctors, and they had given up everything to move to the dustiest place on earth with their entire lives in a couple of plastic bins to give up everything for the cause of Christ. And it was there that God began to reveal to me what it would truly cost me to live out the words that Jesus said in the book of Matthew, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. You guys recall this? And God began to reveal to me what it would truly cost me to be his disciple, to give up the comforts of a Chester County life, to give up a life basically obsessed with technology, to give up professional music, to give up all of the things that I had accustomed myself to. And I knew that I would do it, but I also knew that I wasn't called. Fast forward just a couple of months, and um, we were in, uh, the school year had ended. I was a professor of digital media at the University of Valley Forge, just down the road here. My wife was the director of alumni. We loved our jobs. We loved our home. We loved our church. We loved our friends. We were living a bit of the American dream, but how many of you know that the American dream can be counterintuitive to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so we were invited to go on a trip to Spain, to International Media Ministries, to do another missions trip into North Africa and to do a little bit of work with some college students. And a month before we left to go to Spain, the director of International Media Ministries resigned from his job. And when we got there, I sat on the couch across from him and he said, Dan, you know I've resigned and they've asked me for a short list of people who I think can take this thing over when I leave, I just want to let you know that I put you at the top of my list. Me? You sure? I got a pretty good thing going on back in the States. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking there. And uh, so, you know, I, I did the only thing that I knew how to do when presented with an impossible situation like that. I made a deal with the Lord. Have any of you, you don't have to show of hands, have any of you ever made a deal with the Lord? Like, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, okay, God, here we go. And, and Pastor, I got an 81 on my credentialing exam, so everything I do is 19% heresy. And I, I, did, I didn't even know if it was okay to make a deal with the Lord. And I asked Alicia, she's had her credentials for a decade. I said, Alicia, is, was that okay? Am I going to get, I don't know. Is something going to happen? And... This was the prayer that I prayed. I said, God, if you want us to consider coming here, I want someone to call me on the phone. God can do anything, right? Some people are called into the ministry at an altar or at a retreat or a convention. I want it to be called on my iPhone. That was right. God can do anything. And, uh, and so we came home and, and we thought, okay, God, what are you going to do? What's going to happen here? And the day we left for Spain, we found out we were pregnant with Paisley. So there was that. So we had that other little secret from everybody. And, and we were just sort of waiting. Okay, God, what's going to happen? Are you going to call us? And as the weeks and month and month and a half went by, 
there was no phone call. And we, we kind of came to this little bit of a, a crossroads moment, sort of that fork in the road. And we knew that God was either going to call us or he wasn't. But ultimately, we just simply wanted to be used by God in the best possible way. That was all we wanted. And so we prayed a prayer that, uh, this one night, and, and it was really just a, another prayer of commitment of our lives. And it was the same day that we just felt like, okay, God, we, we got to make a decision here. Like, we're either going to stay here in Pennsylvania or you're going to call us. But if you're not going to call us, we're just going to commit to being here. And we, we looked at some houses. We looked at some mortgages just online. We just kind of, you know, searched a little bit, closed the computer, went up to bed, and we prayed another prayer, and it was probably the most sincere prayer we've ever prayed in our lives, and it was this. God, we are yours completely. Whatever you say to do, we will do. Wherever you say to go, we will go. Do not pray that prayer. At least, at least don't pray that prayer, and don't give God carte blanche access to your life if you're not ready for him to move and do something. The next day, my phone rang. I'm telling you, the next day, my phone rang. Daniel. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Hi, is this Dan? Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Hi, my name is Paul. I'm the regional director of Europe for Assemblies of God World Missions. I don't know why I'm calling you today. But I just felt led that I had to reach out and pick up the phone and tell you about an opportunity we have in Spain. You still there? Yeah. <laughs> that, my friends, is what we call a burning bush moment. Right? This is, this is the moment that we all wish for, we all pray for. Like, God, would you just show up and just tell me exactly what you want me to do? Because I can't take the ambiguity anymore. Right? Where you're just like, God, just show me. <laughs> I want to spend a few moments today talking about the man who had the original burning bush experience, a man by the name of Moses. I'm sure you know Moses' story. And now, some of you may be like me, and when you think of Moses, this video clip that we're going to show, this is what you think of. Let's go ahead and roll it. Let my people go. Slaves are mine, their lives are mine, all that they own is mine. I do not know your God, nor will I let Israel go. Who are you to make their lives bitter in hard bondage? Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. Okay, that right there. That, how many in your mind, this is Moses? It's okay. It's Charlton Heston. I mean, this, this is the quintessential image that I think of when I think of Moses. Now, unfortunately, this is a complete Hollywood fabrication. If, you, if you've just read the story of Moses, what led up to this moment in the book of Exodus you would understand that the man that we find in Scripture is pretty close to the complete opposite of this man right here. And I want to read sort of a Reader's Digest version. We're going to be in Exodus 3, verse 1, and we're going to not bounce around a whole lot. I'm going to skip a few portions, but we're going to start in Exodus 3, 
verse 1, and I'll read it for you, and you can follow along if you'd like. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, this is the moment, right? God appears to Moses in a burning bush that doesn't burn up. He tells Moses exactly what he wants him to do. This is great, right? This is what we dream about. Now, now, Moses wasn't into it. The problem was Moses got issues. Moses got issues, right? We find Moses right now at this time. He's about 80 years old. And if we read further back just a bit in his story, story, we can find out why he's 80 working for his father-in-law, right? And what happened was, right, when Moses was younger, uh, Pharaoh decreed all Hebrew children should be killed, so his mother did the second least safe thing and floated him in a leaky basket of reeds uh, on, on the river and put him in this little, little nook and, oh, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, right? And lo and behold, he grows up in a royal household, right? He's 20 years old. He's walking through the field, and he sees something that he doesn't like. He sees an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. So what does Moses do? He takes matters into his own hands, and he overreacts a little bit. How many of you have ever overreacted in your life? I have. If you, uh, let me rephrase that. How many of you have ever driven a car, right? <laughs> you know, overreact. Now, I've overreacted a time or two in my life. Never have I ever overreacted to the point of murder. But that's what Moses did. He overreacted, killed the guy, buried him in the sand. He thought that nobody saw. Well, he was wrong. And then he was so consumed with guilt and shame that he spent the next 60 years running away. This is where we find Moses at this moment, a broken, shame-filled, guilt-ridden man who is so consumed with his past that God meets him in the most unbelievably real way and he doesn't want anything to do with it. How many of us let our pasts get in the way? Or we live in regret of the things that we do or say? Somehow we think that our past disqualifies us from God using us. Well, that was Moses. He tried to let his past get in the way of his confidence that God could use him. 
So I want to continue on in the passage, and after we do that, we're going to go back and look at his excuses one by one. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 15, God said to Moses, you say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So then God interrupts Moses a little bit, tells him exactly how it's going to go down. He tells him that I'm going to send some plagues, you're going to plunder the Egyptians, take all of their things, and then I'm going to lead you on to victory. And Moses, unimpressed, says, but what if they don't believe me? Or they listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord then said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. So God takes his staff and he <laughs> turns it into a snake, right? And then <laughs> back into a staff. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> right? And then God says, hey, Mo, take your hand, put it into your cloak. All right. Pull it out. And it's like leprous and diseased and ashy white. Ah! All right, do the Holy Spirit paraffin wax dip back in the cloak, and God heals his hand perfectly, just like that. Moses, completely unimpressed, says, uh, pardon your servant, Lord, verse 10, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. Wow. This guy, though, right? So his first excuse was simply this. I'm not important enough, right? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now, this, my friends, is a complete cop-out. As we covered just a few moments ago, Moses grew up in the home of Pharaoh of any Hebrew Moses is the guy to go. Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Ramses one had passed away. That was who Moses was kind of living in the house under. He was gone. Ramses two was in power. So maybe he didn't know exactly how things went, but he knew how things rolled in the home of Pharaoh. But secondly, Moses knew he would have been an educated man. He knew enough history to know that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Your argument is no good here, Moses. Right? His second excuse, who should I say sent me? Right? Most, this, this question is very, very important. Who should I say sent me? Right? Can, can, we just, can we just be reminded right now that Moses is talking to a shrub? Right? I, you know, I, just, I just picture him going, no one is going to believe this, right? But more importantly to that, Moses was so afraid of his past that he, he's saying, you know, I'm supposed to go to the Israelites who know exactly what I have done, and I'm supposed to tell them that God sent me, that God showed up to someone like me, Are we afraid of our pasts? Are we afraid 
to show that God has changed us. You know, the Bible says it's in his presence we are changed. If you've been in the presence of God, you are a new creation. You don't need to worry about your past. And you know, sometimes I think about if, if God does something in our lives, maybe it's here or maybe it's at a, a men's conference or a women's conference, and then Monday hits and we go into work. We're like, great, what do I do now? You live your life as the change creation that you are. You don't worry about the things that people say or the way that, you know, you know what's the worst? Family. Family's also the best. But, the, but family, you can never change in the eyes of some of your family members. You realize that? You will always, be, I will always be little Danny. Maybe you will always be something or someone to your family. And I want to encourage you with this. God has changed you inside and out. It doesn't matter what your family says. It doesn't matter what the people at work say. God is working on your life, and you are a new creation, and you can walk so confidently knowing that he lives inside of you, and there's nothing that anyone can say and nothing not that anyone can do that will take that away from you. Walk confidently. Moses didn't. <laughs> His third excuse, what if they don't believe me? Right? Moses is playing the what-if card here, and I think that's very dangerous, right? Because our call, God was calling Moses at that moment, and your call is not dependent on third-party verification. You know that? When God calls you, it's between you and him, not anybody else. So if you like kind of mathematical equations, it's like God calls, we obey, and then he does the rest. That's it. His fourth excuse, I like to kind of say it like I don't talk good, right? Some scholars think that Moses maybe had a speech impediment or maybe he had a stutter. Either way, I find this like the most hilarious part of the story, right? This, this is the moment where God, God is calling Moses to do the very thing that is his biggest insecurity. <laughs> you know, in America, the number one fear is public speaking. You know that? Number two is dying. That means that more of you would rather die than do what I am doing right now. Right? This, this is what Moses is feeling right now. He's like, God, I, you're, you're asking me to do the one thing that I really, really can't do. You know, there's an old saying, and it's really cliche, but it's very true. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Right? A lot of times we feel like we don't have the goods. We get caught up in our own insecurities, thinking, man, no, I can't do that. But see, I think it's very interesting when we operate in areas where we don't feel totally confident. For me, that's doing this, 
right? I'm confident behind a computer screen, behind a camera. But see, when I do things that are outside of my comfort zone, I have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I really do. And all of us do when we're doing things that, you know what, uh, if you've done a job, uh, you know, you've done the 10,000-hour principle. When you've done something for 10,000 hours, you're an expert. When Evelyn's working on a database, she's just cranking, and she knows exactly what she's doing. And maybe she doesn't really have to think about it sometimes. It's just, it's just what I do. I don't know what that is for you. But when God moves us a little bit outside of that, sometimes we have to be more hyper-aware of His presence to get us through. And because when we do lean on His power to accomplish something, He gets the glory, not us. Finally, Moses gets to the core of his issue. I like to call it analysis paralysis. He just, he just he's like pulling excuses out of his pockets. He's like, all right, Lord, I'm out. For real, just send somebody else. Right? Moses had nerve to tell the God of the universe, don't pick me for your dodgeball team. Right? That's what he's doing. He's like, I had another excuse. And you know what? Never mind. I'm just going to walk away from this shrub. We're going to pretend like this never happened. I'm going to go tend my sheep, go home to my wife. You find somebody else, okay? But after Moses had given all of his excuses, after he had gone through his whole laundry list of things, God asked Moses a question. And the question was this, what is that in your hand? Right? We buzzed by it a little bit earlier. Right? He's got his, his staff. He's like, what's that in your hand, Moses? It's a stick. Impressed? You made it. You want it? Right? And it, Moses got this stick, and it's not impressive. It's a stick. But think about that stick, right? So God turns it into a snake, right? Psst, that was cool. So Moses goes to Pharaoh in the moment, not like the one we saw earlier, and he says, let my p -p people go. And, and so then God takes that staff and psst, turns it into a snake again, another couple, two, three more times. Right? Then come the plagues, they plunder, they do exactly what God said they would do, by the way. He rounds up the Israelites, they go down to the Red Sea. Great, Moses, we can't swim. What are you going to do now? You brought us all the way out here with that stick of yours. Well, why don't you try the stick? Red Sea parts. They walk. Right? So they're walking through the wilderness, going to nobody knows where, and they're walking, and somebody forgot to bring the water bottles. They're like, hey, Moses, we're thirsty over here. You bring us all the way out. We could be over there living it up, making bricks. That's how they felt now. So they had been out there, and they're like, you know what? That was the, that was the life over there. We forgot to bring the bottle of water. Why don't you try the stick, Moses, on that rock? Ding, ding. Water. Right? Now, it's, it's not a magic wand. But God used what Moses had in his hand to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? That's just a stick. It's not much. It's not impressive. I don't know what God has placed in your hand. Maybe you're a business person or a truck driver or a landscaper or a financial advisor or a nurse or a student. What has God placed in your hand that he's calling you to give back to him? 